With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Anitude, a relationship podcast about love, friendships, and everything in between. Hello and welcome to Anitude with Anna. I'm here with probably my most prestigious guest thus far. I have a lawyer, a real life, not one of those fake TV lawyers. I have a lawyer here, um, Aaron Thomas. Aaron, say hello to the listeners. Hello, listeners. Thanks for having me. Yes, no problem. No, um, thank you for coming on my podcast that literally talks about nonsense. And then you're going to come in here and tell us some things about law. So um, listeners, I hope you're ready for this. So um, Aaron, can you tell me, um, you know, your educational background and what made you decide to start practicing law? What made you go into that field? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I'm I'm probably one of those weird kids who uh, wanted to be a lawyer, you know, starting in, in sixth grade. Um, I, you know, the the story was uh, I was in a class where my teacher, if you got in trouble, she would put kids on trial in class. Um, and, you know, the other kids would be the jury and she'd be the judge. And, you know, I was accused of falling asleep in class and chose to defend myself. And uh, I got convicted by my classmates. What was um, the sentence? <laughs> the sentence was either two days of missing recess or I had to take home a book of letters written by my classmates to my parents and had them sign it. And uh, oh. I wasn't giving up recess. So I was like, yeah, I'll take the I'll just take the letters home to the folks. And uh, my parents ended up chatting with the teacher. They were friends. And um, she said, yeah, I think, you know, Aaron, Aaron could, could have a future in law and up to that point, I'd wanted to be a, a comedian. Um, and so my parents kind of latched onto that and then uh, said, you know, being a lawyer sounds like a more uh, lucrative, uh, you know, lucrative, realistic, realistic. Yeah. You, know, you could fall back on being a comedian, but if yeah, you have a law yeah. degree, you know, kind of makes it easier to be a comedian. So I guess right. plan A, you know, plan B. Yes. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. <laughs> um, very interesting about your teacher. I am a teacher myself. So that is, I, I don't know if I could do that with my second graders. They probably would all convict everybody of everything, sentence them uh -huh. to death um, because 
they're that dramatic, but that's awesome that your teacher inspired you to do that. So where did you get your education from? So I went to um, uh, Emory University in Atlanta for college. I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee, but, uh, came down to Atlanta. That's where I am today. Um, and then uh, from there, I went to Harvard Law School. I graduated from there. And Hold on. Er, 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 we got a record scratch. <laughs> record scratch. You got to brag about that. You went to Harvard, the Harvard Law school. I cannot right now. You are, I am bowing to you. <laughs> My listeners can't see, but that is amazing. Um, how was that experience? Thank you. Thank you. Um, it was, you know, it was interesting. Um, you know, I, it was, it was a weird crowd for me. You know, I'm just, I'm a product of public school in Memphis, Tennessee. You know, the, the year before I went to law school, I was driving an ice cream truck and a lot of my classmates were, you know, um, I don't know, clerking for senators or, you know, mm -hmm. doing all kinds of, you know, prestigious, I don't know, you know, summering at the Hamptons. Um, so it was a little bit of culture shock to go oh, yeah. uh, uh, to Harvard Law School, but you know, once you, once I got there, it was kind of like any other, any other school, you know, yeah. you, got the, you got the nerds, probably a higher percentage of nerds than the average school. But um, yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was three years in Boston. Probably the biggest thing was it was freezing cold and I'm from oh, the South. Yeah. So that was, you know, that a was shock. a challenge. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but it's the, you know, it was, it was, it was worth the trip up there because, um, you know, obviously, I mean, as you can imagine, it opens doors. Um, oh yeah. If you say you're a Harvard law graduate, I'm pretty sure you can do whatever the fuck you want. Excuse my language. So yes, yeah. I am so impressed. That's amazing. Something that I just, I'm inspired. Um, I'm too old to go to Harvard. I don't think I would make farewell in Harvard. I probably wouldn't get accepted, but, um, I am getting my PhD. Do you have any advice for people who are seeking higher education, like anything that you would want to tell like your younger self um, about getting an education? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I may have like hacked the process just a little bit because, you know, when I was when I was researching how to get into law school, everything I read said like basically half of it is your LSAT and half of it's your GPA. And my brain thought, okay, so wait a minute, the same thing that I have to spend four years, you know, busting my butt day in and day out, you know, literally for four years um, is worth the same thing as a test I take in like four or five hours. And so I basically dedicated a, a summer to just taking LSATs. And yes. I probably took like 20, 30 of them in the couple months leading up to the test. And most people take between zero and one practice. Right, right, right. That's, I think that's what I did for my SATs. I think I took one practice test and I was like, eh, what I get, what, whatever I get, I get. And then I was shocked. I didn't score very well. So right. um, that is important. Just so you know, test prepping and learning the test before you take it is probably very key and especially getting into law school. So well, awesome. I commend you for that. That is amazing. And so um, what made you go into the direction of family law? Why didn't you go into like criminal law or why didn't you go strictly into like environmental law? What made you decide to go into family law? 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting story. I kind of stumbled into it. So, you know, I went to law school thinking, I'm just going to go work for the big, biggest, baddest law firm in New York and make a ton of money and, you know, retire at 30 and, and, you know, that'll be my life. And then I spent one summer working for one of those New York law firms, you know, went to one of the biggest firms in New York and, you know, watched people work from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. Monday through Friday and then eight hour days on the weekend. And uh, I just knew that wasn't going to be my life, you know, no. that, that that couldn't be me. And so I got out of law school and had no idea what I was going to do. And I came down to Georgia and I volunteered for a little bit. And then I worked in house at a nonprofit for a couple of years. Um, and then I realized I need to be in the courtroom. I want to do what like I imagine lawyers doing when I was a kid, you know, in the courtroom arguing cases. And so I became a public defender. So I did criminal first. Wow. And that was mind blowing, eye opening, you know, all the things. And I spent three years doing that and um, got at least I thought I got pretty good at trying cases and, and knowing my way around the courtroom. And that's actually how I got recruited into family law. Um, you know, being a public defender was great, but those student loans weren't going anywhere and I needed to make some more money. And uh, a law firm, you know, buddy's wife worked for a family law firm and said, we need somebody who can go to court, you know, on day one. And, you know, my boss is looking for somebody and I told him about you. And so they brought me in for an interview and, you know, offered me like double what I was making. And I said, okay, yes, I will will try family law. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it ended up being, you know, great. I mean, it's kind of, it's weird in that it's similar to, to criminal law. You wouldn't think, but it's somebody who's going through probably one of the toughest times that they'll ever have. And you've got to walk them through that process. Um, and the two things that end up in court the most are criminal law and family law. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it was something that was still gonna let me go to the courtroom. And so um, that was 07 when I first started doing family law. And that's what I've been doing since then pretty much. That is amazing. So um, going back to uh, public defending. So I just have, the, you know, knowledge I have from seeing, you know, TV or watching like court cases, um, on Dateline. So when you're a public defender, um, what is, I guess the process of trying to represent your client, even though they, they most definitely might be guilty and you trying to, you know, get their sentence, you know, lessened or, them to be found not guilty. How do you do that? How do you, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you know somebody's guilty, how do you defend them? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I'm glad you asked because I think a lot of people, you know, even myself before I was a public defender, didn't really know like, what is the role that, you know, these people play. And I think a lot of what I saw my job as, as a public defender was I want to make sure that these people who are broke get the same kind of defense as people who got money get. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. um, nobody's mad at, you know, the person who gets a DUI, if they can afford a good lawyer and maybe, you know, get out of something. But, you know, broke people live in a different criminal justice system and yes. they deserve the same kind of defense, you know, the people with money get. So that's very true. Very true. You're absolutely was, right. That was part of it. And then, you know, the other part, I mean, yeah, a lot of people are guilty, but a lot of them aren't like you would be shocked 
how many people, you know, I'd say maybe two thirds of the people who got charged actually got convicted of what they were charged with. And a lot of other people, you know, some are innocent, but a lot of people are just getting overcharged, right. you know, by the cops. They just right. write down everything that they possibly can. They blinked wrong. So they were resisting arrest. And it's like, mm, I don't know about all that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, a lot of it, I think, is just kind of like evening the playing field yes. for people who can't afford the big money lawyers and, you know, and giving people a chance to, you know, you don't know who's going to turn out to be innocent and who's who's going to turn out to be guilty. So you got to you got to do the research. You got to investigate. You got to chase down the leads, you know, and then if if it turns out somebody's guilty, then it, then it turns to. All right. Let me make sure they get the same kind of sentence that somebody with money gets. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, just doing your job is, you know, trying to ensure that your client is represented, just like you said like rich people are represented. So that's a great way to think of it. Cause I always watch, you know, movies and shows and I'm like, how could they, uh, you know, represent this person? They're guilty. They're uh, like, but that right. makes sense. It's not you saying like, Oh, I support their, whatever they did, their crime or whatnot. It's, they need to have a fair playing field. Like you said. So that's, I'm glad that brings a better understanding to, um, what I see and what I hear from, you know, different kinds of cases. So, um, going into family laws, um, like you said that it, it is, a, you know, similar to criminal law, like you said, the most difficult time in somebody's life and, um, they need somebody to, you know, navigate the system for them. Do you ever find it difficult to, you know, find a reasonable, you know, um, solution to people's problems. Do you ever find it to be very difficult, your job, very difficult due to that? It's such a sensitive, you know, such a personal deep level of, um, you know, clients that you're, you're representing. Yeah, it's, it is, it is always challenging. And, and every case that we have is completely different. And you're talking about the most sensitive personal things in somebody's life you know their their money and their kids yes for the most part i mean that is you know and the kinds of stuff that is on the table in a family law case is the kinds of things that would be irrelevant in any other kind of case you know if somebody's being charged with a crime you can't bring up you know well what's your kid doing you know or what's you know how are you you know are you cheating on your wife or right. you know how much money are you spending, you know, from your bank account, all the stuff that would be irrelevant in any other area of life is exactly what's relevant in, you know, for example, like a divorce case or a custody case. Um, and so, you know, the challenge, I think, is to always remember that, you know, this may be my hundredth or my thousandth divorce case that I've played a role in, but for the most part, it's, it's the person that I'm dealing with, it's their first case. Or maybe it's their second, but it's the case, you know, that is on their mind um, right there and trying to treat people with, you know, the kind of empathy that you would want to be treated if you were going through, you know, a difficult, super difficult situation. You know, the breakup of uh, a relationship that you thought was going to last forever. And on top of that, you know, financial stress, the money that used to support one household is now going to support two. Yeah. And your kids who you're used to seeing every single day, 
you're going to see less than that. Even if you win primary custody, the other parent's going to see them sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, so you're not going to wake up with your kids in your, you know, under your roof every single day. So yeah, that is so touchy and it's, yeah, it's a lot. So just, do you find it that it, um, you know, I, I know it's probably easier said than done, but are you able to separate your job from your personal life? Um, especially you have a family. So do you find it difficult to not bring that home to yours and bring the stressors of other people's relationships back home? Uh, yeah, yeah. Honestly, sometimes it is difficult to, to separate it. I mean, I, I think I'm lucky that my wife is also a lawyer and oh wow he represents you know immigrant children who are coming to the country and a lot of who are like separated from their parents wow. and you know so she has also like very heartbreaking mm-hmm. work that she does on a day-to-day basis and so um you know bringing that home wine helps yes um, <laughs> yes that's what i tell people when they're like how do you relax after a day of teaching and i'm like well, if I wasn't doing wine, I'd do something extra legal, which is probably like some kind of substance, but I'm just right. alcohol. So yeah, wine helps. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, um, you know, we, we try to help each other step away from it. I mean, you got to, you can't do this kind of work forever without being able to take a break and, you right. know, have time away and vacation. Otherwise it'll stress you out. I mean, you know, somebody's, if somebody's relationship with their kids are on the line based on what you do in their case, you know, that's, that's as high stress as it yes, can get. And absolutely. so, um, you know, it's, it's difficult, but, you know, I'll probably do the same things other people try to do. I try to try to meditate and get on the treadmill and, mm-hmm. you know, anything, you know, like shut it off and don't bring the laptop into the bedroom. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I find it. I watch reality TV. Cause I'm like, okay, my life is stressful, but these dum-dums on TV are, you know, entertainment and their life is way more chaotic than mine could ever be. And it's televised. So that's usually what I try to do with wine couples, you know, together. So, um, yeah, that's amazing that your wife, um, is a lawyer too. So that is great to have, you know, somebody in the household that understands the pressures of your job and isn't like, why, why aren't you coming home at 7 PM? Because, you know, I wanted to make dinner. So I'm sure that, how do you guys balance your guys' relationship with such hectic schedules? I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think both of us are lucky in that, um, you know, she works at a nonprofit that is very good about, um, uh, you know, limiting the number of hours that they work. So she's not working crazy hours and I'm in the, I'm the boss in my office. So, you know, it's really important to me that me and all my employees try to keep our, our work to a minimum. I mean, I don't miss dinner. Um, I, I don't work late. Um, uh, you know, I may put in some hours on the weekend, but even that I try to keep super limited because, uh, it is a burnout kind of job. Right. Um, and you um, can't be good at your job if you're burnt out, especially when you're dealing with such sensitive, you know, subjects such as, you know, kids and finances, you have to be on your A game at all times. So burnout cannot happen or else you won't be, you know, a good player. So for sure, for sure. And I think, I think my wife and I appreciate each other mm-hmm. 
more because we're not in these kinds of situations and you know we're yes, like yes. Gosh, how lucky are we you know yeah like, how lucky are we that we're not going to court and suing each other for all of our finances I mean that has got to give you some like perspective on you know how great that's a testament to your relationship. So, and that you guys keep your, your, your family sacred and make sure that you guys are there for the important moments. So, um, I was reading on your website. Um, can you shout out your website for the listeners who are interested in learning more about you? What is your website that you have founded? Yeah. Yeah. So I got two websites. So my main family law practice is at AaronThomasLaw.com. Um, that's Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, ThomasLaw.com. And then uh, we have uh, an offshoot practice, which is, it's really part of the larger family law practice, but it's a specialty site. Prenups.com um, is our, is our specialty. Okay. So let's go, let's go into prenups. Why don't I don't have any finances? Like I don't have any liquid. Now a quick word from our sponsors. Just kidding. I don't have any sponsors. Um, are you tired of hearing boring ads? I hate hearing ads, especially ones that don't apply to me like AARP or Madison Reed to dye my hair at home. I don't dye my hair. Also, if you're tired of waiting until the next episode drops or you want to see my beautiful face and the face of my guests, then head on over to Patreon. Patreon is a creator website where you pay a monthly subscription. You don't sign a contract or anything. You can cancel anytime. If you decide you hate Anitude and you no longer want to be an anaholic, you can cancel. Memberships start at $2. That's right. Two smackaroos. So head on over to patreon.com slash Pod. That's patreon.com slash Pod. Now let's get back to the show. Our website about prenups. Why would a person like me, who is a teacher who makes you know, not that much money to that somebody would want to take away. Why should somebody like me get a prenup? Um, I am so glad you asked. Um, so I think that there are a lot of misconceptions about prenups to begin with. Um, number one, I think that most people think of a prenup and you think what comes to mind? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Probably rich people. I think Kanye yeah. West and Kim Kardashian. I'm like, they, yeah, absolutely. They need a prenup. They need to split up those millions accordingly. Right, right. A lot of times people think, you know, um, a rich person, usually like an older man, probably ugly dating, <laughs> like, you know, like I'm a thinking young, Anna Nicole Smith vibes, yeah. right? A young yes. gold digger wife, maybe blonde, possibly, you know, and got to keep the money away from, you know, from the gold digger. Um, but you know, there's, there's two parts to that. One is it's not how much you have 
when you get married. It's what you potentially have when you're breaking up. And two is, you know, and this is what we talk about at prenups.com is um, it's not, most people think about a prenup and they think it's just about planning for how you split up your assets in a divorce. And a lot of people don't realize that you can put in a prenup how you're going to handle your finances during the marriage itself. Okay. And so part of the reason that I even got into this is, you know, um, I started doing family law in like 07, 08, and uh, that was like right at like the real estate market crash and, and everybody's finances were in the trash and couple after couple that we came that were coming into my office for a divorce uh, were um, they were basically having money problems. You know, their house value had tanked, you know, their, their, porf- their stock portfolio had tanked, they're pointing the finger at each other. And back then I used to tell my friends, I would tell my family, like, do not get married no matter what, like, just don't get married. Like if you were in a relationship, you can have a big party instead of a wedding. You know, you can wear a white dress. You can change your last name if that's your thing, if that's what you're into, but don't get married because you have no idea what you're signing up for. And even if you don't have a ton of money, just going through the divorce process itself is like something that is worth insuring against. You know, you get insurance for a car accident, you know, and there's like, a much smaller chance that you're going to have an accident over the next 10 years than there is that you're going to get divorced if you get married. Like divorce rates are what, 40, 50%? Yes, they so like, are out of, I mean, it, truly the odds are against everyone. So yes. Right, right. So there's like a very good chance that it's going to happen. And, you know, the average person who goes through a contested divorce case spends 15 grand, 15 grand per couple. And so well, if you can get a prenup for a couple grand that protects against having to pay 30,000 to lawyers yeah. down the line, then it's almost just like insurance against this cost that could cause financial ruin. You know, the same way that you get insurance to protect your house because if a disaster strikes and your house burns down, it will financially ruin you. Yes. Same thing if you have a car accident and you hurt somebody and you don't have insurance, it's going to financially ruin you. And the same thing, you get into a divorce case, especially, I mean, if you got money, you're fine. You can afford to pay the lawyers. Yeah. But if you don't have a ton of money, it can financially ruin you. Exactly. Money more than ever. Yes. So. Oh my gosh. I I was just thinking too, um, can you change your prenup throughout the relationship or is that not allowed? Yeah. Yeah, you can. A prenup that's done during the marriage is called a postnup. So, you know, the the nuptial is the marriage ceremony, the agreement, prenuptial, or you can get it postnuptial. And so there are people who do it, um, you know, during the marriage. We do a lot of postnups in my office. Um, But I also like to make them um, kind of intuitive. So, like, family law basically says if you get divorced, we're going to assume everything that you have is marital property and is up for division. Um, And it's your responsibility to prove what's marital and what's not. And so a lot of times people figure that out in a divorce case and they're like, what do you mean I got to give her half of my retirement? That's my retirement. Or what do you mean I got to give him half the equity in the house? I've been paying the mortgage for 10 years. I own this house before he moved in. And now he wants half the equity in this house. Um, and so what I like, what I recommend for most couples is, all right, set up your finances in a way that makes sense. Like you've got your account, they've got their account. 
and you have a joint account and you pay for your joint expenses, you know, mm-hmm. your utilities and your rent and your insurance together. And you pay for those things from the joint account and you both contribute money to the joint account. And then you keep your separate account with your separate money. And that's where you pay for your expenses. If you yes. go shopping with your friends or if you go have dinner with somebody else, you, that's, you pay for that from your money and you keep things separate. And then if you want to go buy a piece of property and it's going to be your property, you just buy it in your name. If you want to buy something and it's going to be a joint invested, then you put it in joint names. And that's how you keep from there being surprises of like, oh, you had 25 grand of debt and now I'm on the hook for half of that. Yeah. I didn't even know you had it. So um, a lot of it is just about having like some real honest conversations at the beginning of the relationship. Right. So I um, learned that in this, I had a relationship, I was engaged to be married or else I would be talking to you about getting a divorce. I'd probably um, be thinking about um, hiring a divorce attorney if we did end up getting married because of finances. Do you find that's the most common, you know, argument or most common uh, reason for divorce is finances? Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's, that's what the numbers show. That's what, you know, when they do these surveys, the number one reason for people breaking up is, is money issues. I, I think it's probably one step deeper than that. I think it is, I think people divorce because of communication problems. Right. And right. the money is like a symptom, yes. but the underlying cause is, is communication. Communication, which includes honesty and all that, which includes. And, you know, and one thing about a prenup is for it to be enforceable, you have to expose, you have to disclose all All your finances, all your assets, all your debts to the other person. And that kind of sets the tone for your marriage. Like, let's just put it out all out on the table. And otherwise people don't do it because it's like, it's taboo in our society to talk about money, right? right? It's rude to talk about how much you make. It's you can't ask somebody how much student loan debt they have, or you can't talk about how much credit card debt you have. And people have like a lot of shame associated yes, with it. Yes. And you so know, that, like, that that goes into the relationship of, oh, I'm so afra- afraid that they won't love me if I have this much debt. Well, I won't love you when I find out that I also am going to be paying through my taxes, your, your debts. So, right. yeah. So that was, um, my ex-fiance, um, he had child support debt that I was unaware of. And Ooh. I found out after we broke up that he owed about $13,000 in child support. And it really opened my eyes because at the beginning of the relationship, he did not want to disclose like how much, you know, debt he had or where exactly his income was coming from, which is always a red flag. Cause I'm very transparent. I'm like, listen, I got student loans. I probably will be paying them until the day I die, but that's my only debt. I don't have any credit card debt. I don't have any medical debt, et cetera. And I feel like, yes, like you said, it's a communication issue where there needs to be honesty and transparency. And if you don't have that, it's going to bleed over into everything else in your relationship. So every other part of the relationship. That's right. Yes. And, and so, you know, when, you know, the, the idea for prenups.com really came about when I was getting married myself. So 2016, I got married later in life. And this is like the other thing about prenups is like, like our parents' generation got married average age of like 21. 
Mm-hmm. So like, of course they didn't have anything. And back right. then, you know, credit cards had just come around. Student loans weren't crazy out of control. You know, you probably only had one bank account, you know? So it was like, it was like the analogy I like to use is, is it was like people who are starting a business together. They're going in from very scratch yeah. business, nothing. And they're building it from scratch. And the average couple today gets married more like age 30. And so by that time, they probably got, they probably got, you know, tens of thousands of student loan debt. They've got four or five credit cards. They got four or five bank accounts. They probably got a 401k from one of their jobs. They got a car. They might have, you know, a house with some equity. So whereas like our parents' generation was starting a business from scratch, today when a couple gets married, it's like you're merging two fully formed corporations. And you would never do something like that without some kind of written protection. Agreement. Yes. Are we going to do this, yes. you know, make it work and not have it turn into arguments. So, so I'm getting married in, in 2016 and I'm thinking, you know, I have all this knowledge of like what doesn't work in marriages from the last 10 years of, of my job. How can I protect against all of those kinds of arguments on the front end? You know, how can I just, you know, protect against the kinds of things that I see breaking couples up all the time with my spouse. And so we sat down and wrote out our own prenup and not just like, how are we going to split stuff in the divorce, but like, how are we going to handle money during the marriage? So for example, we have a rule where we have to discuss any purchase over $500 before we make it. Um, We have a rule where we got to sit down every December and talk about what our retirement contributions are going to be for the upcoming year or how much we're going to contribute to our travel budget. Like that's our big, like, you know, kind of discretionary expense. So it's something that's important to both of us. So how much are we gonna put towards travel? And so we just kind of down the line came up with like a list of rules for, you know, how are we going to treat money in our relationship? Uh, We have a rule where we can't loan any money to family or friends from the joint bank account. So if somebody comes and says, uh, you know, Aaron, I need to borrow some money. I can be like, well, I can only let you borrow money from my, my personal bank account. You know, when my accounts are set up, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I only got, you know, I only got a couple hundred, so I can, I can give you about half of that, but that's it, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a lot of rules that we put in place that are designed to actually help us stay together. And I know it sounds crazy. No, it prevents save your marriage. Yes, yes, because it prevents those arguments of you didn't tell me that you were gonna buy those Louboutin shoes for nine hundred dollars, and you know it prevents these arguments from happening. And that's what you know a prenup sounds like. It does for every couple, and it. I mean, I feel like it should not be taboo that you have one because you know I I hear people say like. Um, why would they get a prenup? You know, like, do they think they're going to get divorced soon or something? Or does she think that he's going to, you know, take her money? Um, and it shouldn't be thought of like that. Like you said, it should be thought of like, okay, we're coming into this relationship as fully fledged businesses, basically let's protect our stake in the, our marriage, which is the business and also prevent future arguments and petty nonsense that turns into me hating you. And then we have to get a divorce and actually use this prenup. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like insurance, you know, just because mm-hmm. insurance on your car doesn't mean you're going to go out and start driving reckless. Right. You know, right. just get a prenup doesn't make you any more likely to get divorced. It just means, you know, you got some protection in there. 
And I think um, it just means that you're smart because you know that you have things that, you know, you both need to protect and uh, both need to disclose to each other as a couple. So that is great advice, especially for my generation. I feel as if a lot of, you know, people, I came into this thinking like, I have no money, um, but I do, I have, I own my own home. I have a car. I do have retirement for Roth accounts and all that. So it is, you know, to my best interest to, you know, disclose all of that to my future partner. And when do you think it's a good time to start talking about finances in a relationship? Do you think do you wait, uh, you know, a year, do you immediately? Cause I like to do it like first week, let's get this out of the way because I've met some jokers that obviously don't disclose a lot of things until it's too late. So when do you think it's a good time to discuss finances? I think, I think earlier rather than later. I mean, I think it's kind of BS that money is so taboo that we're not allowed to talk about it. You know, I mean, that's why a lot of people have bad financial habits because a lot of us were like, you didn't talk about money. You didn't ask your parents about money. You know, and so, you know, I learned about credit cards when I went to college and I was like, oh, it's like free money. You know, and the next thing I knew, I had like three credit cards racked up, you know, and a crap credit score. And like I had to learn the hard way. Right. You know, right. you learn biology, you learn trigonometry, you learn a whole bunch of stuff in high school that like, let's be honest, you're not going to use. I All I know is the <laughs> mitochondria is the powerhouse of the it's cell. The powerhouse. Ask me <laughs> about to do taxes. The- right, no. right. But everybody needs like, basic like financial literacy finance liter yeah financial literacy um and so it shouldn't be taboo at all and you know i think sooner rather than later I mean, you don't want to fall in love and then find out that they're the kind of person who carries like 50 grand a credit card debt and only pays the minimum you know preaching to the life. choir I, I i i was dating somebody that didn't even have a bank account that he had one of those uh cards like the rush cards where you like reload it and i was like it's do you have, I don't have a bank account. And I figured out it was because he had so much debt and racked up so much debt and other Uh, and got accounts closed. So I think, I mean, and my thing is like, if they think that's crazy that you're asking about their finances or that you want to be open and honest about your finances, they're probably hiding something. Boom. Red flags. Yes. Yes. Red flags do not make scarves. So please pay attention to them. So, um, I know I got to wrap this up soon, but I just want to talk about, you know, you having your own firm and how do you, um, cultivate, uh, you know, lawyers that align to your vision for your practice? Like, how do you find, um, people that have the same belief system as you, like you said, these people are coming in here at the worst possible time in their lives and they need, support to navigate the system. So how do you find people that work in your firm? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a good question. You know, I, I think when I started my own practice, I wanted to basically do the opposite of everything I didn't like when I was working for somebody else. Um, and so, you know, some of that was little stuff like, you know, we had paper, I worked at an old school law firm, we had paper files. And if you had to work on a case, you had to like get in your car, you know, if you had, if you had to work on the weekend, you had to drive to the office because everything was on paper and everything wasn't scanned and in the system. And I was like, 
it's like, you know, at the time I'm like, it's like 2013, 2014. Like we can't scan everything in and right, like, come on now, let's, you know, Dropbox exists today, yeah. Google yeah. Drive, you know? Um, and so part of it was, you know, just, just kind of getting things, you know, in a more modern, you know, atmosphere for the work. Uh, some of it was, you know, like losing some of the formality, like my clients don't care if I'm wearing a tie every day, they care if I can like help them out in their situation. And so making things a little less formal, um, working fewer hours, you know, I don't, I don't believe that you got to like miss dinner with your family to prove that you're a good employee. You can make, you know, decent money and still have like some kind of decent life outside of your job um, and, and make it home in time for dinner and pick your kids up from school. Um, and so I think because I kind of built that work environment for myself, that it naturally attracted people who also had the same belief and, you know, said, I don't need to bill, you know, 2,500 hours a year to prove myself as a lawyer. And, you know, the, I, want, I want to work with people who have a life outside of work, who have a sense of humor, um, you know, who aren't boring. I mean, to do this kind of work, you got to be around people that you like. So yeah, definitely. You know, so I think I'm lucky in that we've, we've attracted um, cool people with a sense of humor who, you know, we all work remotely um, because if I got to stand over you to trust that you're doing the work, then you should not work with Yeah. Yeah. I can't work with you period. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Like you give them the freedom to, you know, be a good employee because they will be because you've cultivated that culture in your, yeah, in your firm. That's amazing. So, um, before I wrap this up, is there anything you want to say or any advice you have for any couples or any, um, you know, buddy thinking about, um, becoming, a you know, prenuptial agreement, uh, marriage, uh, what do you think um, that you would, what would you want to say to these people who are listening? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one thing I would love to tell your listeners is go to prenups.com. I've got a free ebook on the website, seven financial strategies for a rock solid marriage. And you don't even have to really be getting married to benefit from it. I mean, it's really for any relationship, you know, a lot, if you're living with somebody else, you're kind of in the same boat, you know, you got some joint finances going on. Um, and, uh, you know, really it's all about transparency, communication and fairness. And, and those I think are the three principles that deal with, you know, your marital finances, as well as your relationship, uh, in general, um, and, you know, get everything out on the table, um, you know, be transparent, you'll benefit from it. Your relationship will benefit from it. The trust will bleed over into other parts of your relationship, um, but yeah, go to preempts.com, download the free ebook, and, and it gives a lot more tips on there um, about how to how to manage your finances in your relationship. Yes. So everybody, please, I implore you to at least do your research before you uh, sign those papers and say that this is forever because it just might not be. So, and in the words of Kanye West, um, I'm sure you hear this a lot. We want prenup. We want prenup. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I ask everybody this before they go and you can either decline to answer or you can give me the right answer. What is your favorite Britney Spears song? I gotta go. I gotta go with toxic. 
That's a right answer. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Great job. You passed the test. All right, Aaron. Well, Boom. thank you so much for coming on to my little podcast to talk about these big things. Um, once again, go to prenups.com, everybody. Uh, download the free ebook. Um, find me on social media at Attitude Pod, um, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, email me at attitudepod at gmail. Um, do you have any social media that you wanted to shout out, or if you want to keep it private, that's fine. Keep it private. Go to the website, prenups.com. Yeah, Thank just go that. to the website. All right. Thank you, Aaron. Have a wonderful night. It's something that you need to have. And when she leave, she gonna leave with half. 18 years.